Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Roku Report podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. It's Martin Wanless here. And with me to dissect Sunderland's 1-0 home defeat to Charlton Athletic is Malk Dugdale. How are you, mate? Good morning or good evening to you, Martin. I'm, I'm good. A little bit disappointed with the weekend's outcomes, but, you know, it, it wasn't as bad as some recent poor performances, so I'm sure we'll get into that. And also on the line is BBC Radio Newcastle's Sunderland commentator, Nick Barnes. Nick, how are you today? Uh, good, good. I'm like Malcolm, you know, disappointed with... Uh result but uh, I, I see it as I did the Portsmouth game as just a hiccup I'm, I'm not no real wider concerns although maybe one or two issues arose from the two those two games actually which perhaps are worth wider consideration. Indeed well yes we suffered our first home defeat of the season as Mangelus Charlton rather predictably beat us 1-0 in a, in a pretty eventful game at the stadium of life. It's one of those things, isn't it? My heart sank on, I think it was Thursday, when the, the news of Nigel Adkins' departure came through and you just knew <laughs> what was on the cards, didn't you? Johnny Jackson taking over. Nick, what, what effect do you think that has on the team and had on the Charlton team? Because we've seen the results of Charlton so far this season. I think they'd won one home game and one, one away game. They'd been playing poorly. We speak to a fan is part of our sort of pre-match coverage before every every game. And the Charlton fan who we interviewed on, on the site said, you know, that one of their big problems was a lack of fitness. And it seemed completely the opposite. I was waiting for them to run out of run out of steam. So Well interesting what you say about fitness, because um Benno mentioned that as well, that he'd obviously heard or, or spoken to someone that said that they had a problem with fitness. Well I, I mean that evidently wasn't the case because they seemed to be fully running from start to finish. My fear was you know, like you, I think as soon as we saw the news that Adkins had been sacked, your heart sinks because, you know, and I remember Mansfield come into the Stadium of Light last year and Nigel Clough taking over only the day before and, and Mansfield ran out 1-0 winners. I then thought, you know, this was a slightly different scenario because that was a cup game and, you know, the teams changed around and this is a league game and Sunderland's still got a, a very strong eleven. But I think the, 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 the issue with Charlton is that um, I also... Heard, I was chatting to a couple of their uh, reporters that in, at, at times this season they played some brilliant football, but that that's been let down by their inability to defend and a general lack of confidence and and things just not the, the system just not working for Nigel Adkins. So you know that the kernel of a good team is there at Charlton. It just hadn't come together, and I think that combined with the fact that Johnny Jackson 
was given the job on a caretaker basis and the Charlton fans love him. You know, for, for them, he's a real favourite. He's been a player there for eight years. He's been on the coaching staff for another three years. So he's, you know, inured in sort of Charlton Athletic, even though he's a former Tottenham player. And I thought, well, OK, so combine it all and he, he and he wants the job. And then, you know, typically he was canny with his team selection, as managers always do, put a couple of players in against their former clubs, George Dobson and Adam Matthews. Plus, you know, Jaden Stockley up front, who's a who's a handful, and we saw that. And a game plan which was clearly to pressure, get in Sunderland's faces, and exploit that. And they did. Um, and they they that you know their gamesmanship. I don't like it. I think even Lee Johnson sort of said afterwards that look, if it's Sunderland in that position and looking to win a game, they'd probably do the same. His issues were with the refereeing and and the inability of the referee to crack down on things and put a stop to things happening uh, earlier in the game, which led to sort of problems later in the game. So there's there's sort of one or two issues around it. But I think, you know, ultimately appointing a manager who's, you know, Charlton through and through, who's determined to get the job and had a game plan, it it came together for them. We'll um, we'll come back to Mr Drysdale because I've I've spent all afternoon making... um voodoo dolls of him <laughs> but um, let's talk about the team selection Mark unchanged from Tuesday night's 4-0 win at Crew. I think Pritchard was the only doubt sort of coming into the game wasn't he he had a, a bit of a neck injury I think after the match he'd said that you know, he, he had been through quite a lot of pain this week and it's not right but he's, he sort of battled through we had the likes of Evans and Gooch and um, Alves back on the bench um, so Mark were you surprised to see an unchanged team or would you like to see some of those returning players just thrown straight back into the starting 11 I wasn't surprised to see an unchanged team because you know those couple of away results that we've had you know how could you criticise the coach for not rotating people you know we've done well in the trophy and such we've done well away from home which people was an area you know for a lot of people we wanted to improve on so you know I wasn't surprised that the team didn't change greatly I was a little bit surprised that after the first 15, 20 minutes, something different wasn't tried out on the grass because it was clear, as Nick touched on, what their approach was going to be. They were going to be physical to the very edge of the rules of the game, hoping that the referee potentially wouldn't you know, make some difficult decisions. And clearly, that plan worked. And they, uh, I, don't, I don't think the team that played the last game was necessarily the right selection if the coach had a crystal ball and knew the approach they were going to take at the start of the kickoff at three o'clock. But, you know, if we play our way and we play our football, it shouldn't really matter that much which approach that they come up with. But they prevented us from doing that. They did what we do to teams, including back in the years when we were in the Premier League. You know, we'd press tight, be physical. Uh, we'd have a lot of people imposing themselves on their opponent kind of player and stuff like that. So I was more... Disappointed's a strong word because it was one of them games I could have gone either way. Uh, but I was more surprised that the coach didn't do more with the bench earlier in the game to react to the way that they had clearly set themselves out. But there is an argument that no matter what he did, the way that the officials were, it might not have actually made that much difference. So maybe that was just me clutching at straws. I don't know. I think, Nick, in your interview with Lee Johnson on, on Friday, he, he sort of identified, didn't he, that all of the homework about Charlton kind of goes out the window when they've got a new manager. And he talked about sort of tactical flexibility being needed and you know the onus really being on, on the players and, and the staff, of course, to kind of figure out what Charlton were going to do. 
and come up with a plan and, and adapt in the game to do that. And post-match, he kind of said four or five players were doing their own thing and five or six players were, were sticking to the, the game plan, the protocol. So obviously something didn't quite work there. And it kind of, it, it's a little bit, I guess it's, it's something that comes with the younger side, doesn't it? But it's slightly concerning because, you know, the Portsmouth game, which I think is a good comparison to, to this game in terms of things going against us, Obviously, the pitch of Portsmouth went against us. Charlton's game plan plus the referee went against us. And we didn't really know how to react to it. Whereas in other games this season, when it's been a, a purely footballing game, and we can stick to our game plan and, and go out and you know really be focused on what we're doing. The things that we can alter within, you know, within the confines of that are okay. But when, when something, a curveball gets thrown at us, we don't really seem to, to react to it. Now, is that something that you think is just, uh, you know, a one-off at Portsmouth? You know, that the Portsmouth game was was ridiculous. And I think you can put that to one side in terms of the pitch. But I was a little bit disappointed in the way that we reacted. And that's on the field and off the field in terms of Charlton, as Mal touched upon, those tactical changes that come come through. So is that something that we should be watching out for in, in future games? That's something that Lee Johnson's going to be be thinking about over the next few weeks? I think it's a good point, and I think Lee Johnson touched on it to an extent after the game against Charlton by saying that maybe they have to address their recruitment in terms of teams if they're going to adopt those tactics. You know, more teams in League One or the majority of teams in League One are going to play those sort of tactics. Are Sunderland recruiting recruiting the wrong sorts of players? They need to look again at the sorts of players they are bringing into the squad to be able to deal with teams who play like that. Because I think, you know, you make a good point that I think in both those games, Portsmouth and Charlton, Sunderland didn't react. They didn't change. They, they I mean, I'm, I'm bet to, you know, Benno did say in the first half, don't get sucked in by Charlton into playing their game. Stick to your, the way that you, the way that Sunderland play. And I can, I can see what he means. And I could, don't get sort of, uh, ruffled up and lose your your shape and it, you know in time that I think his point was that it that Charlton will run out of steam and Sunderland's game plan will come to the fore but it but it didn't and I think that's something they'll probably look at quite long and hard as to how they can change a game when you are come up against teams like Charlton and I you know, that they weren't they weren't helped by the referee Darren Drysdale had a really poor game and and that is another mitigating factor but you look at the Sunderland squad and the players within that squad it is a young team and it's not it's not a big strong physical team you know you haven't got Jaden Stockley's John Marquises you haven't got those sort of players in this squad it's very much you know a footballing squad a team that's there to play football as you know we all want to see it played so there is a there is a you know there's a fine line between that sort of squad and do you bring in one or two players that when you need to, you can bring them off the bench and you can change either the dynamic of the defenders or the dynamic in midfield or the dynamic up front to try and counter some of the opposition tactics. And I think, you know, there's a, that, that, that for me, that the Portsmouth and Charlton games, they've raised a couple of alarm bells in that respect. Uh, you know, I still don't think they were, we've got a crisis by any stretch of the imagination because I think on, you know, most occasions, Sunderland will be a better footballing team than most teams they play against. But... And Wickham will be another case in point, I think, especially when we go to Adams Park. Another team that will try and rough Sunderland up because I think they have a sense that those sort of tactics do seem to pay against Sunderland. Well, let's get into the 
game itself and I think in the first five or ten minutes we actually started pretty brightly we had a couple of chances O'Brien had a a chance when he sort of cut in back onto his right foot and and tried to curl it and McGee had a a bit of a chance and we we were looking all right weren't we and I think Charlton were almost um, you know keeping the fingers crossed and being very determined not to concede an early goal which would obviously have got the crowd really going and potentially open the floodgates and as soon as Charlton kind of thought, oh, we've got past the first 10 minutes here and we haven't conceded, they really stepped up and started to put a few challenges in. And then, of course, the Mr. Drysdale show started. And, you know, he, well, actually, it started in the very first second, didn't it, with the, mm. the kickoff? And the, the Charlton yeah. player came and came through 09, which I, I was pretty certain that was going to be, a, or should have been a booking at any other stage of the game. But I have to say, and I've been spending a lot of time today thinking about this, I reckon that is the most inept refereeing performance I've ever seen in football. I can't remember a, a game where a referee has not given so much. Usually when you criticise referee, it's for picking up everything and you know, blowing his whistle at every occasion. And this guy didn't, didn't do that. He was, he was letting so many things go. And you know, even it was a, an early one in the first half, wasn't it, when McGeady went down the right wing and the lad just ran over into him to, to knock him off the ball. And that was a, a no foul. And it just continued from, from there. Like We've seen bad decisions at the stadium the night before. Like we've seen Gary McAllister get a penalty when he was tripped up on the halfway line and, and stuff like that. But in terms of like the overall refereeing performance, Mark, I thought that was unbelievable. Am I, am I overreacting or, or was it that bad? Um- I don't think you're overreacting, Martin. My issue is I was in the, the lower east stand. It's a bit of a kind of superstition rather thing. A few years ago, me and my lad went there and we had a really good game. And because of this being the first home visit that we've had this season because of work and family commitments and stuff, um, I thought, right, I'm going to go in the same area. I'm, I'm not going to change things, you know what I mean? So we were in the in the lower east stand and the view from down there when you're trying to look at the whole game's not not great, although it's really close to the pitch and, and it's a good a good view. Um but even from that angle, it was a right old bag of spanners, wasn't it? It really, really was <laughs> not good. I mean, we, we I was looking straight at Luke O'Nine's face uh, when that Charlton player came straight through the back of him in the centre circle after kickoff. And I thought, what's what's going on? And that and that definitely laid out the the kind of approach that Charlton were clearly going to use um, for the remainder of the game. They were going to just get in people's faces, kick them a bit and try and get away with it, you know, intimidate them, push them around, hopefully get some kind of weird and wonderful kind of um, spawny goal or whatever, uh, and then do a Wickham and just time waste like to kingdom come. But yeah, the, the, the ref was bloody awful. Uh, the linesmen were bad as well. And sometimes... You have a line or that kind of starts waving his flag a bit to give the ref a bit of an indication. You know what? That was a bit out of order. The the linesman um, on the on the east stand side didn't see at least a couple of offsides. Uh, there was in the second half there was a big push in McGeady's back when he was going down the right wing. Guy just shoved him in the back and he fell over. Didn't even give a free kick and the ref went like this, tapping his shoulder as if it was short. How can it be shoulder to shoulder when the bloke pushed him from behind? Do you know what I mean? So it was it was comical. The problem is that's not really ever going to change in League One. We cannot use that as a, a stick to beat ourselves with or we cannot really expect much better because that's the standard of referees at that level. We can whinge about it. We can talk about it with you know people with a lot of knowledge about the game like Nick, but it, it is what it is. So we've got to 
adapt and make sure that the influence of the ref and the linesman doesn't influence the game. And we didn't do that. We, we didn't play our game. But it, I agree, you know, I would have I would have had a more concrete opinion if I was watching it like on TV or via a stream or whatever like you did, Martin. But it's certainly by 60% plus the worst refereeing performance I've seen in being a Sunderland fan for over 35 years. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Nick, from your vantage point on the in the commentary position? Well, I don't disagree with pretty much everything Malcolm said. I mean, I, I think ultimately Malcolm's right. We can't look and blame the referee for the result. I think, you know, as much as we'd like to do that and use it in, as a scapegoat, I think, you know, I think Lee Johnson was right afterwards and he was fairly actually calm and he hates losing, but he did actually make the point that Sunderland didn't show enough quality around the, the penalty area. And, and and that was right. I mean, O'Brien's passing was a bit off kilter, off radar. Um, they did have chances. They hit the bar, you know, it, but it, it, they weren't as clinical as they've been in, in previous games. I think if they've been as clinical as they had been at Crew, we're possibly looking at a, a 1-0, 2-1 win for Sunderland. But there's no question the referee uh, sort of uh, malign influence on the game. And I think... The other issue was one which we did. We we were mystified after the game when Lee Johnson came through and said that um, Jaden Stockley had uh, headbutted Tom Flanagan, um, and that will go to the FA and he will get a three-match ban. Now, none of us in the press room saw it, and we were absolutely mystified by it. And we spoke to the Charlton press team, and they didn't hadn't seen it either. It was only afterwards, and I spoke to a few friends who'd been at the game, and I said, "Did you see anything between?" Flanagan and Stockley, they said, yes, yes, there was a clear headbutt. Now, OK, we didn't see it. Um, fans saw it. And I give, give the referee the benefit of the doubt there. Maybe he, he, he hadn't seen it. But it's sort of indicative of what was going on in the game and what Charlton were getting away with. And Malcolm's absolutely right. There were several instances where players were clearly pushed over, pushed down, fouled, and the referee gave absolutely nothing. And, and, you know, that, and it is also, again, it's a marker of League One. And I think as much as it is, uh, it's galling and it's irritating, I think we've just got to accept that's the level of, you know, that's the standard we're going to be watching week in, week out. And, you know, Sunderland have got to, in, in, in many ways, rise above that and find that little bit of quality to win games. And, and, and so we're not having the argument about we've lost the game because the referee was poor. And it wasn't the the most vicious of headbutts. I must say, I mean, I, I didn't have a clue what Lee Johnson was was talking about either. And, until you actually search and see the video, and you you actually see some some replays of it, there, there was a bit of a headbutt, Malk, but it wasn't the it wasn't the most um, violent of of actions, was it? But I think if if Flanagan goes down, something probably happens. But he, he stands his ground. He's got a bit of blood coming from his mouth. It's kind of just play on, and the referee's not bothered about, is he? You're almost a victim from being a self-respecting footballer and not dropping on the floor and rolling around like a South American winger. You know what I mean? You're almost losing out because you don't do what we really don't want to see. And and I think that's just fundamentally wrong. You know, fair enough that the, the two um, assistant refs and the referee might not have seen it. I didn't see it. I was at the wrong end of the pitch anyway. Obviously, most of the um, passionate Sunderland fans in the in the south end of the of the ground will have seen it happen. If he had blood coming from his gob, then that's a bit of an indicator that it was it was something, you know, moderately significant at least. Um, so maybe it will be reviewed and maybe uh, the FA will ban the guy. The problem is, 
that's of no use to bloody Sunderland, is it? You know, we, he's going to get banned for maybe three games for a, a deferred red card or a review red card. You know, that's that's of no benefit to the situation that we were in. But it's it's bang out of order. Um, should Flanagan have gone down like the sack of spuds? I don't know. You know, the, the umpires in all sports should be good enough to spot that and eradicate it without the need for amateur dramatics. But in League One, they're just not sometimes. So hopefully it does get reviewed and the punishment will be leveraged. I suppose the only slight grace we can take from it is if he does get a three-match ban retrospectively, maybe it's a signal to other teams that you can't do so much of that without people being punished, at least by video review later on. That might make a difference, but it doesn't have any benefit for the team that are subject to that problem at the time. I haven't had a look at Charlton's fixtures, but... um... If he does get a three-match ban, Charlton will probably be playing Wigan, Wickham and Ipswich in the next three games, won't they? Um, it's, and and it's, it's an interesting one about this whole, you know, theatrical going down. I mean, I'm thinking back to Gillingham as well, when Embleton's tackled on Jack Tucker and Jack Tucker's reaction was, it, it was well over the top. But I think without doubt that was part of the contributory factor in Embleton being shown a red card when... It was also right in front of the management benches, in front of Steve Evans and Paul Rayner. And the combination of Jack Tucker's reaction and Steve Evans and Paul Rayner on the touchline 10 feet away from the referee, without question, I think, influenced his decision because the reaction of people like Danny Collins, Gary Bennett, Marco Gabbiadini was that was a yellow card challenge. And had it taken place on the other side of the pitch, away from the benches, it may not have resulted in the same colour of card. But you're right, do, do, do Sunderland's players, do you want a team now that's going to get in, broiled in sort of amateur theatricals when they get tackled just to try and get decisions? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it, there's a sort of moral question, isn't there, for your team and, you know, and the type of team that you want to be watching. But it's unquestionably a tactic used by the likes of Steve Evans and, you know, Charlton, we saw them use that. Gareth Ainsworth, you know, they use that because they know they haven't got the quality on the pitch to sort of basically compensate for the quality they're playing against. It's one of those things, isn't it? I would much rather that we did the right thing and we didn't go down and we didn't throw ourselves around. But there's a fine line between you know the, that moral side of it, as you say, Nick, and actually being streetwise enough to get results in League One. And I think it's a fine balancing act sometimes, isn't it? And you know maybe sometimes we do have to, to play the game a little bit, but I would rather us not do that. I think um, I think we've got. Well, look, I, I think there's one player that does do it. I mean, with all due respect to him, I think Luke O'Neill is quite wily in that respect. And I, I you know, we've we, we spoken to uh, Lee Johnston about Luke O'Neill, and, and and Lee would admit himself, yeah, Luke is a bit of a worky ticket, and he does wind players up. At the same time, he is targeted because of his shoulder problem, and and I think players of the opposition teams do know that if you if you wind Luke O'Neill up. They will get a reaction. So you know, it's, it's not that some haven't got those players, but I think as a rule, you don't want to see them sort of suddenly finding you've got eleven players who are going to be, you know, to, to sort of uh, go down that road, if you like. Yeah, no, that's right. And look, I, I think when the the game went on, we could see what the referee was going to be like. And look, the, as we've said, the the performance of the referee doesn't offer any excuses for us not winning the game. I think. We've got to be good enough and wily enough and smart enough to adapt to whatever circumstances are thrown at us and whatever circumstances we face. And we've got to find out or find different ways of winning. And 
we really struggled to get a foothold in the game. Once Charlton started pressing us and coming at us, we, we looked a little bit lost. And, you know, you, you look at the, the team, and like, I thought Ross Stewart, again, had a great game. But he was w- running much wider than he has done in previous yeah. games. He was having to force himself out wide to get the ball, which obviously created a gap between the midfield joining him and, and him playing up front. The defence were was solid enough. Obviously, they had Stockley to, and Washington to, to deal with. But, you know, Hoffman played well. He came out and got a great cross in the um, in the second half, didn't he? He, he claimed brilliantly. I thought Doyle and yeah, Flanagan had a tough afternoon, but they, they performed well. I thought Serkin was actually really good. Um, his, his t- I tell you what, he's a player who I just like watching. His touch on the ball is, is beautiful. He reminds me of Julio. He's just such a, a nice, composed player. And Winchester right back had a, a steady enough game, but in between Ross Stewart and defence, it didn't quite work. Luke O'Nine and Dan Neal were a bit lost and isolated in midfield. They always seemed to be outnumbered in midfield. And then you had the three across the, the front behind Stewart. Well, I thought Pritchard did all right, but McGeady, you know, he's just come back from injury. To be fair, being rushed back from injury, I think. Um, but, you know, he's 35 now, and whether we just put his age as, a, as an automatic thing against him whenever he has a, a poor performance or not. But, you know, he is coming back from injury. He missed pre-season, so there's got to be that to, to consider as, as well. O'Brien didn't have the, the best of games, and he, he doesn't really give you that much width as, as other people do. And I think when Gooch came on, for example, he, he showed a bit more, didn't he? He had that energy, that aggression. But, Mark, like, like you, I was, I was surprised we didn't make changes, certainly at halftime. Um, I would have liked to see Corey Evans come on at halftime just to give a little bit more stability and bite in that midfield and try to regain some of that territorial advantage that we we kind of given up to Charlton in the first half. What were you thinking at halftime? I was thinking pretty much the same, Martin. To give credit to Charlton, where it's it's due in in small aspects, they they used the bully boy tactics and we didn't deal with that very well. But they used them on the right areas of the pitch you know they didn't give Dan Neil any time on the ball whatsoever and he's what is he 18 19 he's he's still learning you know and he's when he's playing against you know big idiots running flat out at him for 85 minutes um, and he hasn't got time to think on the ball if they can um, execute that tactic well then they're going to stop a lot of the the quality of link play between the the defense midfield and forwards uh, and I think, you know, to be fair to Charlton, their midfield did that quite well. They, they kind of bullied 0-9 out of the game and crowded Dan Neal out of it. So that all we had was width, which is what we didn't have. You know, we didn't have McGeady taking people on. I mentioned in in one of our chats on the WhatsApp group, you know, McGeady in the second half was right in front of me in that lower east stand. And the amount of times he got the ball down the right-hand wing and he had, he had a, um, a, a wide centre-half in front of him. Did he go past him? Did he help? Three, four times I could count. And he didn't take the bloke on. So if he has been rushed back from injury, then fair enough. But if that's the case, swap him at half-time and let Gooch take that guy on for the second half. Give Gooch 40 minutes, 45 minutes um, and and make a difference, you know. Uh, but yeah, we, we we lost the battle in terms of physicality and, and how we handled that. But we also, um, I do think the the caretaker manager from Charlton was reasonably wily in cutting out our our kind of channels through the middle. And by doing that, and without real width, that was being effective. Um, I agree. I think Pritchard had a good game. Um, I think Stewart had a good game, but he was plowing a very lone furrow, as you say, towards the corner flags often more more than not. Um, but McGeady just he didn't he didn't play well at all. Um, and if that's him rushed back, then I think the 
the coaching team have made the wrong decision on which player to put in that position, you know, or the formation we use with the players we got available. They sh- we should have made different um, changes at halftime, in my opinion, both tactically and personnel-wise, and we didn't. So all we, all we can do now is hope that as a as a, a squad and a, you know a coaching team, we learn from that uh, and we we think about teams that might come with that approach in a different manner. I have to say, though, I'm a little bit disappointed for Charlton because Charlton's a decent club. If I was a lifelong Charlton fan, would I want my team to suddenly become another Wickham and get promoted through that set of tactics? No, I bloody wouldn't, you know. So, And they sang their hearts out all the way through the game, to be honest. So, you know, I've, I've got a lot of time for the fans, even though we've had challenges with them over the years. But if I was in their shoes, I wouldn't want my team to be that. I'd want my team to be where we've been heading, you know. So. But if they're happy with that and, and it gets them out of the pickle they're in at the minute, I suppose they'll take it at least short term, you know. I think after after two wins all season, you're going to win, take a win by any method, aren't you, at that point of the season? Yeah, it's whether that becomes the long-term approach, though, Martin. If it does, yeah, that's, that's then right. the fans will sharp get unresty about it and, and, they'll, and they'll start thinking, you know, are we really just another, you know, long ball, kick the other team in the shins team or, or can we actually play footy? Um, going back to McGeady for a little bit, Nick, We've obviously got um, Diaku on the bench who's come back in the last couple of games and obviously scored a, a wonderful goal on, on Tuesday against Crew and looked dangerous when he, he came back on. He, he gets an awful lot of power into his shots, doesn't he? Um, he so he, he looks as like he's got an awful lot of potential. Gooch is coming back. We've got Embleton who's going to return from suspension. We've got Pritchard who can play in those wider attacking areas as well. So you know it's not necessarily a case now that we've only got McGeady to play on the left wing, so he's got to play every week. And there's part of me that thinks, you know, at at his age, which again, you know, we, we shouldn't just say about his age so he can't play every week and he can't play the full game. But to have McGeady on the bench to come off, sorry, to come onto the field with 15, 20, 25 minutes remaining of a game, to me, that's a hell of a weapon for a, a side to have, you know, coming on against a tired defence. Is that, you know, potentially do we see Johnson moving to, to utilising McGeady in that sort of way more? Or do we think it's just... McGeady's returning to fitness. He's still a he's still got an awful lot to offer, and he's going to play his part from the start as much as he is going to play a part from the bench. I, I think McGeady's inclusion this weekend was because at Crew it was the only option. If he was you know he, he was trying to get players back from injury, and McGeady was the closest to coming back, so he put him into the team, and they won four 0 And I think it was then. I don't think anybody at the start of the game would have objected to that starting eleven against Charlton because they'd won 4 nil in the week. And I think we'll all accept, they, I mean, we, I mean, just listening to the discussion here, everybody's come out having had a good game apart from McGeady. Now, we didn't necessarily foresee that. And, and I think it's true. I don't think anybody did have a bad game overall except McGeady. And I think, you know, for, for and though all those reasons, you know, Malcolm was saying about, and, and you were saying about him coming back maybe a little bit too early from injury and, not being fully fit and the age and so on. I think going forwards, you're absolutely right. I think McGee is going to be used more as a player, impact player off the bench because Lee Johnson said the age that he is, although McGee will actually disagree with you and, and argue very strongly that he can play every game because I've had that conversation with him after Fleetwood. That, um, but I think Lee Johnson's attitude to him will be he's not going to be able to play two games a week. And so he's going to find himself more... Um, as the sort of impact player off the bench, because you've got Gooch, you've got the Yaku, and we'll have Broadhead coming back. And they, I think, are going to be ahead of Aidan McGeady. On the whole, 
in the in the starting eleven as we as we go forwards. But it, it you know I think overall I mean in terms of the discussion about substitutions, yes I think the substitutions should have probably been made earlier against Charlton. No, I didn't see I didn't think I don't think managers ever will do it at half time unless things are going so drastically wrong that um, they're forced to do that. I mean, if they're, they're two or three nil down, maybe at half time, I think yeah, yeah, you may well see a manager make changes. But I think at half time against Charlton, because it was nil nil, and I always had that, I always had a feeling about the game that whoever scored first would probably win it, and probably only win it one nil. It just seemed to have that sort of feel about it. I think Lee Johnson's feeling was we we plug away the way that we are. We, I mean, the, the one player they didn't get a hold of against Charlton was Lecco as well as Stockley. I thought Jonathan Lecco had a very good yeah. game for Charlton and, and they lay, they gave him way too much space down that right-hand side. And I think if they could have, could have got a grip and had a stroke of luck and got the first goal and they did create chances, it, it would have been a different game. I think, you know, Sunderland probably would have gone on to win the game. I think um, Charlton's confidence would have sort of ebbed away, I think, if they'd gone behind. I mean, from what I was being told by the Charlton um, press lot, they were sort of saying, if you if Sunderland score first, you'll you'll watch the confidence just sort of wash away from Charlton. And I think, you know, I think that's what Lee Johnson was was pinning his hopes on, on on getting that first goal. But of course, in the end, they conceded what was a horrible, scrappy, you know, confusing. Comp- you know, it was just a mess. I mean, but it came from Lecco. I mean, and and I think that was the the key. They didn't they didn't keep Lecco quiet. I don't want this to be the McGeady beaten show, but the one thing I will say is. In the second half, we got a free kick and Luke Ornine took it. Now, if McGeady is fit, right, why on earth is McGeady not having a go at that? And that's in the second half when he's already played a full 45 plus some. So for me, if a player is going onto the pitch and he can't deliver one of the things that he's been delivering over the years for, you know, at some of the highest levels of quality, then there's an argument that he just shouldn't have even started the game, never mind being subbed off. Um, why on earth Luke O'Nine's taking that free kick? I just, I, it just absolutely befuddles me. Well, um, he must be putting nine out of ten into the top corner in training every week, mustn't he? Because there's no, we've not seen any evidence whatsoever on the field that he can no, take a good dead ball. He's been skying them all over the place, hasn't he? It's, it's bizarre, isn't it? But yeah, he, he must be yeah. doing it at the academy of life. Um, so Charlton's goal, um, Stockley, who maybe shouldn't have been on the pitch, got a, a header and it kind of went in via Luke O'Nine's hand, maybe. There was potentially a foul on Pritchard, I think, in the build-up, potentially a foul on Flanagan for the goal. But it had been coming, hadn't it? I think um, Perrington had, had, had a sort of Ronnie Rosenthal-esque miss from about a yard out, didn't he, where he, he managed to put it past the far post mm. with an open goal just before that. Then we had a, another scramble in the box where bodies were flying left, right and centre to block the ball. So it wasn't a surprise that Charlton managed to get the goal, but it was a bloody scrappy one to concede, wasn't it, Nick? Uh, it was horrible. It was, it was it was just horrible. I mean, we sitting where we are, we're so high up. It's you know sometimes it's difficult to try and assimilate what's actually happened. But I mean, it, it was just messy. I mean, you're right. Stockley threw himself in there from sort of the memory of it. It seemed to come off off the bar, drop down. There's an argument across the line when it came down off the bar, and then O'Neill sticks his hand out. Stockley goes crashing through whoever was on the line. The ball ends up in the back of the net. The assistant puts his flag up and you're not sure whether he's, a, he's, he's waving for a free kick or he's waving that the goal's been given. The referee took what appeared to be an age to give the decision that the goal was a goal. Meantime, Charlton's players, were, you know, they'd gone off onto the far side to celebrate, but I think they, they weren't in, 
entirely sure themselves the goal had been given. It was, it, it was in a way, it was sort of a metaphor for the game, you know. Um, and we've seen it before when, I mean, Portsmouth did it to an extent. When players like Stockley stand on the goalkeeper and they flock in the six-yard box, Sunderland's defenders, they, they don't sh- show a huge deal of finesse in, in dealing with those situations. Ironically, one player that you know Sunderland did have last season, who while he was you know he's much derided in some quarters, and, and we've had plenty of you know discussion over him. Charlie White was actually a very very good defender when Sunderland were up against teams like that. White back in defence was one big player who could deal with those sort of situations. And I don't think at the moment Sunderland have got a player of his sort of uh, size and and the way that he he could sort of make himself big in those situations and. And, that, and, and that's cost them, I think, a couple of goals this season. It certainly has. And, you, you know, I think that's the one thing that, you know, potentially Bailey Wright gives you at centre-half as well. When those crosses are coming in, he's got a little bit more presence than, than maybe Flanagan has. But it's just a, a scrappy one to concede. But it's it's one of those things, if if we take our chances in the first half, that goal doesn't... I mean, that's the that's the key again. I think, you know, we I think we, we said in the build-up to the game, the key in this game is scoring first. Whoever scores first has got a massive advantage. And clearly, if Sunderland had scored first at home with that sort of 32,000 crowd, albeit how many there were from Charlton, 30,000 crowd, I, th- I think Charlton would have lost. But, but you know, they, they got that first goal and, and, they, and they knew that they were wily enough to know how to hang on to it. And, and you know, really, in the end, Sunderland was sort of slightly headless trying to, to, to get the equaliser. You, you always got a sense they were going to play, play on right through the weekend and, and probably not score. <laughs> and that's, well, Charlton straight away sort of turned up the time-wasting tactics oh, in the totally. and everything <laughs> was, it was, it was abysmal really, wasn't it? It was taking minutes to take throw-ins and all sorts of stuff, but you know. Again, position, we, come, we come back to the referee, in. Darren Drysdale didn't deal with it. He should have nipped that in the bud early on. And made it quite clear he wasn't going to stand for time wasting, and and it, yet you know Charlton pushed the buttons. They 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 exploited it, and and they they you know put pressure on Darren Drysdale, and he wilted with that. He didn't he didn't deal with it. Yeah, I agree. And you know we we made some subs, didn't we? Gooch came on. I think as I said before, I think Gooch added a, a lot just in terms of his pace and his aggression and his willingness to um, to get at the defence and. There was a point where he was pulled back by the neck and he, he didn't get a free kick. He, he, he was potentially clean through, wasn't he? Um, but the I think, as we said before, Diakou came on and had a, a little bit of an impact, had a nice shot that you know just went over the bar, but the power he got in that shot was was superb. Um, but the biggest opportunity we had, obviously, was a penalty shot, wasn't it? The ball came in from the right-hand side. Ross Stewart, edge of the six-yard box, struck it really well, destined for... For goal, whether the goalkeeper would have saved it or not, is another matter. But it quite clearly struck their defender's left arm, didn't it? Was it a little bit too close to be given as a penalty? I, or? I, my my gut feeling was it's too close. I think I think yeah. I, I, it, there's no question it hit his arm, it hit his hand, and and it, you know, in I think if he'd been a yard further back or the shot had been struck two yards further back, I think it would have been given. Well, actually, I'm not so sure with this referee, but um, <laughs> in the, nor- the normal run of events, I think it had probably been given. I think the fact it was so he was so close, the benefit of the doubt falls to the defender because I don't think his he didn't raise his arm to any great degree. His arms were still down, pretty much to his side, um, and it and it struck him down fairly low. I, I I do think I will give Darren Drysdale the benefit of the doubt in this particular instance. You're a generous man, Nick. 
Yeah, I, I just think if it had been given, I think it would, it would have been a harsh penalty to give in the circumstances. But, you know, there is the other side of the argument. The rule is if it strikes your hand, then it's a goal opportunity, then it's a penalty. But I think sometimes, I think if that had happened to Sunderland, if it had been a Sunderland defender who'd had that happen to them, I think we'd be arguing here that it was a harsh penalty. So yeah. I, I think ultimately I'm, I'm going to sort of veer towards it, it was probably the right decision. Mark? So, I'm no, I'm, Nick, I've got a lot of respect for what you do, mate, but um, I, I have to fundamentally disagree I'll, I'll quickly say I've only seen it from the Lower East stand. Uh, I haven't uh, seen the highlights on Quest or whatever yet, but I was looking straight behind the linesman and across the, the Charlton penalty area. But I saw the ball leave that crowd of players and I saw it clearly strike the arm of that player. Now, if there's a gap that you can see from 40 yards away in the crowd between the ball leaving and hitting the, the defender's arm, Surely that's far enough away for that to be a penalty. You know, it's, it, it was absolutely, you know, it, it was on target. As, as you said, Martin, he might have saved it. But then if if the shot has been stopped from even challenging the goalkeeper, then it, the penalty's got to be given to give you another chance from the spot. But it's it's one of them where, as we said at the start of the chat, um, we, we're, we're expecting inadequate professional, um, you know, referees and linesmen to make difficult decisions and they're not going to do that because they bottled pretty much every other decision around the park. Why are they going to do that uh, in the second half when we were fighting back to try and get at least a point? Um, you know, if we'd have taken the, the better chances, you know, that, that double shot where I think it was Winch came in from the far side and drilled it back across the keeper, didn't he, in the first half. If we'd taken one of them or the one that hit the corner of the crossbar in the post, then it would have been irrelevant. But I, I do think it was a penalty, but I haven't seen the replays. So uh, based on live, I would have given it if I was the linesman, absolutely. I think Lee Johnson said that the referee told him he hadn't given it because the defender had his arms behind his back and it hadn't hit his arm. So that's Well, I mean, that, that's um... ridiculous. I mean, it's, I, it did hit his arm. There's no question about that. I've got no problem with that. It definitely hit his arm. Malcolm, with complete respect your decision for the you know not agreeing with me, but... I don't think it was intentional. Oh, no, it wasn't intentional. You know, and I do think this, that the speed of the, the ball hitting him, I, I think, and that, as, you know, as Lee Johnson said afterwards, he, he, he thinks it's the, it, ultimately it was the distance between the, 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 the ball being struck and where the defender was. And I, I think yeah. it's one of those we could argue all night. And I think we, we probably still wouldn't come, you know, thank God we haven't got VAR, but it, it's, it, it, I do think <sighs> it's one of those that is unresolvable in some ways because it's such a grey area. I mean, handball in penalty areas always has been, and I think this is a clear case of why handball in the penalty area is such a difficult issue. From a Sunderland perspective, it's a definite penalty. If it was given against us, no chance of really harsh. So I think it's it's one of those, isn't it, that if it's for you, you'll take it. If it goes against you, you, you complain about it. And I think Charlton would have rightly had some complaints, but they couldn't have had too many if it had been given. But the game ended with a 1-0 defeat, didn't it? And... It's obviously a, it's disappointing to lose that unbeaten home record. And it's, it's going to be a, a big... It's going to be interesting to see how we respond to it because there's a big challenge over the next few weeks. We've got QPR in the Cup. And then we've got Rotherham away on Saturday. We've got Sheffield Wednesday away on the Tuesday or the Wednesday, I think. It's certainly in the midweek. I think it's, there's an international break somewhere in, in the middle there, isn't it? Then we've got, and then we've got Ipswich after that. So we've, we've got a tough run of fixtures coming up. And this this next four or five weeks could really determine the course of, of the season, couldn't it? There's so many um, tough games on paper there where we're playing teams that we expect to be challenging up the top there. And 
it's a big test for the, for the side, isn't it, Nick? Um, it is, but I, I mean, I, I'm, I look forward to this. And I think, I think in terms of um, the football that we played, I don't think. I, I think the problem is you, you're playing teams like Charlton who are fighting for their lives, and they they have a certain, and they clearly proved that in the way that they played. I think the game against Queens Park Rangers will be a, a completely different game. A because they're doing well in the championship now. How much they change their team is open to question. I think they played quite a strong team in the last round, and there's every chance now they're in the fourth round that they could play a strong team. But I do, I, I think it'll be a different, a totally different game. It'll be a footballing game, and I think it'll be. Look, for Sunderland, it's a free hit. Strangely, in the same way that the game for Charlton was a free hit, Sunderland have got nothing to lose going to Queen's Park Rangers and having a go. Or If they lose, they lose. It's not the end of the world. It's not the league. Rotherham, again, I, I, I just think it'll be a very good game. I think you know Rotherham, Paul Warren has got a very fit squad. He's well-versed in knowing how to get out of League One. You know, they've become a bit of the yo-yo club, haven't they, in the last few years. Um, but I think, it, you know, Sunderland will be able to play their game at Rotherham. And I think they'll be able to play their game at Sheffield Wednesday as well, I think. So I think in, in terms of, yes, they're, 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 in, you know, they're against the sort of top sides again. But I'd rather that than be going into scraps every week with, with teams who are trying to sort of uh, fight their way it, to safety, if you like. I mean, I, I don't. I don't think, apart from maybe Wickham, any team in the top six or seven are going to are, are going to be those sort of teams. I think they're all going to be footballing teams, and um, so I think you know there'll be games to relish in lots of ways. I don't think I've got nothing to fear personally in the way that Sunderland have been set up and the way they've been winning games this season, the way they're playing games. I've nothing to fear going to Rotherham and Sheffield Wednesday and those games that are coming up. I'm actually thinking these are games that probably Sunderland, are, you know, are the favourites to win just because they have been playing such good football. And we're we're going into those games with you know players returning from from injury as well. With QPR, what sort of team would you you pick for that game, Mark? Obviously, there's a there's one school of thought which would say you know the lads would want to bounce back from Saturday's defeat, you know, play the majority of them, get some confidence before we we go on again on Saturday. The other school of thought is get some fitness into the legs of the players who are just coming back, rest the players who are critically important to the team, the likes of Ross Stewart and people like that. So I think it needs to be a combination of rotation, fitness improvement and tactical and strategic assessment for me, Martin. I don't care about the result. We've done well to get to the, the round that we have. Uh, in the It's the Carabao Cup, isn't it? Uh, we've done well to get where we have, uh, but we... I, I don't give a monkey's about the result. I want the coaching team to um, drop people who deserve to potentially be dropped and give other people a chance. Uh, I think we need to send that message that uh, when you don't quite play your best, we've got a big, deep squad that can offer other options. Uh, I think we should expect QPR to rest a few of their players, um, especially after watching us, um, you know, seeing the result from from Saturday. Um, so I don't I don't think there's much point in expecting them putting a full side out. Um, so there's a chance for the youth. But the most important thing for me is, um, you know, learning from Saturday, learning about what else we can do when we might be um, facing that kind of challenge again and giving minutes to the, the, the youngsters and the lads who were coming back from fitness to get ourselves most optimally prepared for next weekend and, and the other games beyond. Because even though they are more footballing sides than the likes of Wickham and the way Charlton played on Saturday, um, we've got to get back on the winning ways as quick as possible. 
you know, as you say, the next five weeks are going to be critical, Martin. That'll take us kind of towards Christmas. And everybody says all the all the old, uh, you know, the, the old adages are, you know, have a look at the table at Christmas. That'll give you a real view of who's going to be up there or thereabouts. You know, we can't afford to drop off now. We need to get back on the on the winning run, uh, starting with what's going to be challenging games, but there will be footballing games. I agree with Nick in that aspect. So our approach and our talent should serve us reasonably well. And Nick, did Lee Johnson give any any hints about what sort of team he'll, he'll put out? No, he very much a case that he's too. He doesn't like trying to sort of think about you know picking a team straight after a game, um, especially when he's just lost. And uh, I mean, sometimes he can be a bit more uh, open with it, with his thoughts on on the team because he's got more players available. But I think he's in this dilemma at the minute. He's got you know the likes of Gooch and Evans and Broadhead not being far away from coming back and. You know, how does he play? Where's the balancing act, you know, against the championship team? Does he does he weaken the, the team significantly? I use that word weaken, actually, in inverted commas, because I think the players that have come in in the past few weeks have done an absolutely sterling job. You know, the younger players, the, the Stephen Werns, Will Harris, yeah. etc. I think they've done a, an excellent job. And I wouldn't want, and I think he's slightly sort of disrespectful to say weaken team, but um, I, I think he's got a balance to find. I think he's got a balance to strike because he doesn't want to go to Queen's Park Rangers and be railroaded by you know the championship team. But at the same time, he wants to put you know to, to give a good fight and, and and try and sort of go to toe to toe with them. I think there will be changes. I, I think he will be mindful of the Rotherham game at the weekend and mindful of um, the fact that Evans and Gooch are only just coming back. So it's going to be quite intriguing to see what eleven. He goes with in the end, and I think he probably might be a little bit circumspect in thinking that Queens Park Rangers probably will make changes. So that that gives him a little bit of leeway, if you like, if he wants to play a Stephen Wern or he wants to bring in you know one or two of the other younger players. Um, so I think I, I think we'll see. I think I'm almost certain we'll see changes, and I think we'll see a bit of a mix. But I'm not so sure we'll see wholesale changes. I think he'll still field what would be considered a, a, a strong. First eleven. It's potentially a good opportunity for for Lee Johnson and the players on on the fringes, isn't it? And we had the same after the Fleetwood game where we conceded the the last minute penalty. Didn't we? we went we went to Wigan, made a few changes, lot, lot of the players impressed, and they're really knocking on the door for the for the next game. So it's, it's a great opportunity, um, and we'll see what happens over the the coming. Well, coming week, it's a, it's a big week, I think, for, for us for our, our season. It, it is. I mean, I, I mean, in terms of personal, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to say Denver Hume came in for Sirkin, Bailey Wright comes in possibly for, for Doyle. So you can see that you, you, now he's got opportunities to play, you know, to change the team and not significantly change it, if you see what I mean. Because Hume, we know what he can deliver. Uh, Bailey Wright, we know what Bailey, and, and Bailey Wright, look, this, this is Bailey Wright going back to one of his former clubs. He's, and, and we know we've just talked about that discussion about Bailey Wright being the sort of bigger player in defence that can deal with, um, you know, if, if they get balls played into the sort of danger areas. So you can see, you know, it, midfield, he might, he might switch Neil for Evans uh, to give him minutes ahead of the weekend. So you can see how the, 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 the dynamic can change without changing, if you see what I mean, because he's now got yeah. the players that he can, you know, he can do that. He can afford to do that. Right, I think we've um, we've dissected all of that for long enough. I think we'll just push that to one side now because I, I think the, the important thing for all of us to remember is that this season's going to have a few ups and downs. It's going to have a few games like Saturday. We're not going to win every game, but I think we're on the right track. I still think we are so far better off than we, we were last season. Everything's kind of 
ticking a lot of boxes on and off the off the field. And it'll you know it'll just be interesting to hear how this group of players reacts. But we've praised them an awful lot for the the mental strength and the the sort of fortitude that they've shown. And I've got no doubt that they'll they'll just repeat that. They'll show us again over the coming weeks that they have got that mental strength and we've we've got the talent. And that's the the key thing. We've got the talent. We've got the players coming back to fitness. I think there's still an awful lot to be positive about, and we'll keep our fingers crossed it all falls into place again over the over the coming weeks. Nick, thank you very much for for joining us today. Always no, a pleasure. No problem. I just want I'll quickly add to that. I think it's worth remembering that we're what twelve, thirteen games into the league season. They've already played four, three, four games in the league cup, two games in the football league trophy, and yet this is a squad that's still a point off the top with a couple of games in hand. So for all the setbacks, the few setbacks they've had, they're still in pole position. And I think that's quite interesting because in the past three seasons, they've not been in that position. They've always been in the top six or top eight, but now they found themselves in the top four and they've not really dropped out of that. They've, you know, Most of the time they've been in the top two. And I just think now that that is, is a good sign. I think you know it's a good omen for the sort of coming months. No, it is. And I think it's, it's really interesting as well when you look at even the points per game, which obviously everybody became a lot more aware of a couple of seasons ago. But, you know, on average, two points per game will get you promoted. And we're still tracking above two points per game. Other teams are as well. You know, a lot of other teams have had good starts to the season as, as we have, but we're still tracking over two points per game. And I think if we just keep that going and concentrate on, on ourselves and not be too worried about what's going on around us and whether we're in the top two or whether we're fourth, just concentrate on what, what, what we're doing and the points that we're, we're accumulating. That's all we can do. And I think ultimately we'll we'll be all right come the end of the season. But that's an awful long way off. Um, Malk, thank you very much for your time this morning, mate. Always a pleasure again. Likewise, Martin. Yeah, let's let's just keep focusing on the marathon, not the sprint. I totally agree with what you guys are saying. You know, long way to go yet. We're in the right direction. To, you know, who would have thought we'd get six points from them, two away games, and then lose that one. But as long as we keep that average up, it's Sunderland. Uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> and also keep an eye out on the website. There's tons of content going up there every day, all written by Sunderland fans. One article I'd like to draw your attention to this week, we've actually got a, an interview with a, a fan who saw Rich Carter play. I think his first game was 1939, ironically against Charlton. So that's a really nice feature, and it's one that we're going to start doing regularly. So if you or somebody you know has memories of going to the games in 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whenever it is, drop us a line, report at yahoo.co.uk. Um, drop us a line and let us know and we'll we'll figure out an interview and, and get some memories. Cause I think they're the really important things to, to capture there, the fabric of the football club and what makes a football club special. And those stories from supporters are, are brilliant. So we love hearing about those. But yeah, drop us a line, get, get in touch. And thank you very much for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.